Okay, so imagine these softest sheets you've ever felt, and now imagine them getting even softer with every wash. Told you guys about this company before, but I'm gonna tell you again, and I'm honestly not gonna stop telling you because they are the best sheets on the market. In a recent customer survey, 96% said that Bowen brand sheets get softer with every wash, which I didn't take that survey, but if I did, I would have been in the 96% because I am telling you, it's like you've tried them at first and you can't believe that they could get softer and then they just continually do. A lot of things I like about this company. First of all, they're made with the rarest 100% organic cotton and are completely free from toxins. Second of all, they're buttery soft, but also breathable. So they kind of work in any season. They have over 11,000 reviews, 30 night worry-free guarantee. So you can wash style and sleep in their sheets for an entire month. And if you don't love them, you can send them right back. Their signature sheets come in 13 versatile colors in all sizes. So from twin up to California King, I have them in the color stone. I have the color mineral. I have a waffle blanket. Like I got a lot of things from this company and everything is just quality. I so badly need you to try them so that you can understand what I mean. I'm telling you, I've gotten these as gifts for so many people and everyone I know is hooked. Sleep better at night with the softest sheets from Bowl and Branch. Get 15% off your first order when you use promo code CBC at bowlandbranch.com. That's Bowl and Branch, B-O-L-L-A-N-D, branch.com, promo code is CBC. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi guys, I'm Emma. And I'm Julie. And welcome back to another episode of our Kardashian bonus show, Usual. Hi, Em. We have gotten through Kim and Chris's fairy tale wedding. We are now on Courtney and Kim Take New York, season two, episode one. I am so happy to be here. This is some crazy shit. I also got to say before we even start, I- I'm sorry about my voice. <laughs> if it's too painful or annoying to listen to, really feel no pressure. I'm, I'm doing the best I can. I have a cold. We got Mucinex. We got saline. But when you have a podcast, you just can't really fake it, you know? No, but the good news is, is that I know that we would rather talk about Courtney and Kim take New York a little bit sick than not talk about it at all. <laughs> Put that on my fucking grave, Julie. Um, you, you know I will. Okay, so before even getting into the first episode of Courtney and Kim Take New York season two, we're going to bounce around for a second because if you remember, before Kim's fairy tale wedding, we were recapping season six. And what they kind of did is they added Kendall's Sweet 16 almost as like a tack on to season six. So it's a standalone episode pretty much. We're not going to recap it to the full extent by any means, but it is just a moment in pop culture that needs to be remembered. <laughs> Honestly, this whole thing feels illegal to watch. The whole time I was watching it, I was thinking about how deeply upsetting it would be for me to have a camera on myself at age 14 and 16. Like, as you know, Em, that's pretty much my worst nightmare. And so to see Kendall and Kylie admittedly a lot better off at that age than I was, it's still, I'm like, I I feel bad watching you at this stage of your life, but I also... I can't look away. I'm addicted to the content. I know. And what's so interesting in their case is that in addition to all the normal obstacles that one has during adolescence, they're also just starting to come to terms with where they sit fame-wise and money-wise. And it really comes to a head when you see the difference in the way that Chris wants to approach this party and Kendall wants to approach this party. Because, I mean, I think that this still tracks even today that out of the entire family, at least from what we know, it seems that Kendall is kind of the most modest, or I should say likes to express her wealth in the most modest of ways. And a 2011 Kris Jenner 
not only did she have no concept of what low key meant, she didn't want to have a concept. Like she was full steam ahead on just everything over the top. And you really see that a conflict arose there between her and Kendall in terms of what they wanted for this party. Oh, for Chris at this time, like bigger was better, full stop. There was there was no telling Chris anything other than that, which you think that because the planning of this party came after Kim and Chris's fairy tale wedding and Kim and Chris's fairy tale divorce, keeping in mind that Kendall's birthday is early November and the divorce was announced October 31st, 2011, that Chris would maybe want to tone things down a little bit, but no, she she is ready to go as big as humanly possible. Kendall expresses the fact that she would like to have a small, intimate gathering of her friends and really not do too much. And Chris's response to that is, oh, maybe we'll rent out the Staples Center. And so we are operating on, as per usual, completely different pages between Chris and everybody else. Yeah, I mean, Chris is trying to take Kendall and 75 of her friends to the Bahamas. And she's like, I just want a pinata. You know, like she really, I think, is trying to get as in touch with normalcy as she possibly can. Obviously, that doesn't end up happening. The way the party pans out is they end up going to the rooftop of the Andaz. And this is really the part that needs to be mentioned. So they want a surprise performer, right? And Chloe's calling around. You see Chloe on the phone with Little Wayne's manager, this one, that one. And they end up calling Tyga, who both Kendall and Kylie are big fans of at the time. And Tyga ends up surprising Kendall at her party, which this whole thing is fucking crazy. Like, I think that we as a community forget the Kylie and Tyga era. And partially, is it possible we forget it? Because when they started dating, she was 17, you know, a month before her 18th birthday, but she was 17, he was 24. It wasn't the most kosher thing. Like, if we want to call it like it is, it just wasn't. And what was so crazy about this is like, we are seeing for the first time Tyga kind of not necessarily meeting the family, but here he is just as the special guest performer at Kendall Sweet 16. Meanwhile, in a few years, he's going to be on a vacation with the entire family. What I think it is, is that I actually don't think that we forget about the Kylie Tyga era. I think the element of this that we forget about is the fact that they were fans of Tyga. It's not like they just started being friends and started dating. Like, this relationship kind of blossomed, whether it was three years prior or not, from the fact that Kylie and Kendall were big enough fans of Tyga that Kendall's dream surprise performance would have been him. Okay, this is the part that really hit me when I was watching this episode because for some reason I had never thought about this up until genuinely watching Kendall Sweet 16. As we know, right, like they all date very famous people. But the first time I ever had the awareness that one of them could potentially be starstruck by another one's significant other was when Chloe started dating Lamar. And obviously, Rob is a diehard Lakers fan. And even Rob said, like, it was very cool that he had a Laker as his brother in law. Even on some level with Chris Humphreys, I'm sure that existed just him being in the NBA. But this was so interesting because here is Kendall. Forget about Kylie. Kendall is a huge Tyga fan. And at some point in those few years, you know, that was going to wear off because then she's going to be on a family vacation with him in St. Bart's and Costa Rica. You know, the most, I would say, or one of the most famous vacation episodes is when Kylie brings Tyga, I believe it's to Costa Rica, and Kendall is really pissed. Like she just wants sister time and she can't believe that Kylie's boyfriend is coming on the trip. Meanwhile, at Kendall's Sweet 16, the idea that she would be on a family vacation and Tyga would be there, one of her favorite celebrities, was probably the coolest fucking thing. 
Like, I, I don't know. I, I just never thought about it from that angle until watching this. I know. Neither did I. It like really hit me when I was watching it. I also had a moment that hit me when they were going through all of the people that Kendall would want. And before they landed on Tyga, they wanted Drake to come be the performer, but Drake was on tour. And that would have been like the get of a century. Like it would have been a very, very big deal for Drake, maybe even bigger than Tyga at the time for them. And fast forward a couple of years, every single person in the family will have dating rumors with him. I like it's so wild. Isn't that a, an interesting concept though? Like thinking about any one of them being starstruck about the other significant others. Because if you think about it, when Kim and Kanye first started dating, that was a big deal to the rest of the family. Like not to say they weren't in with major celebrities and they themselves were major celebrities, but Kanye West at the time felt like a whole other league. Especially for Kendall and Kylie, I think at that age, because keeping in mind, like we're going to get to the beginning of the Kim and Kanye relationship very soon. And so Kendall and Kylie are still in high school at this time. And so all of a sudden, yes, of course, they're, this incredibly famous family. They have a lot of famous friends, as do their friends, though. They go to Sierra Canyon. Like (laughs) Nobody that they go to school with is a stranger to the fact that there is a lot of fame around them. But the amount of fame that's going to skyrocket from Kanye being introduced into their family is like astronomical, especially for two girls who are on their high school cheerleading team. Like it's, It's really crazy to think about. No, I know. It's a really strange thing to comprehend. It almost makes my brain hurt because current day, like Kylie Jenner is the person one gets starstruck over. She is not someone that would get starstruck by a certain celebrity coming into her family. It's just a wild 12-year progression. But I did want to say this. I know it feels like a big jump, but just stick with me for a second. On the regular episode, we were talking about how Blink-182 took over Frank Ocean for headlining Weekend 2 Coachella. And I don't think we really mentioned it from the Courtney perspective, but we can all see how much Courtney is loving kind of living this rock star wife fantasy that isn't a fantasy for her. It's really a reality. And I'm trying to think the best way to say it because I by no means want to reduce their relationship to this, but I really think there is something so fucking cool for Courtney about finally being able to date someone that is equally, if not more famous and overwhelmingly accomplished because Scott, who I adore got famous on the Kardashians' coattails. Travis Barker was cemented as a musical genius and musical icon way before Courtney was ever in the picture. And I think there's almost something for Courtney about like living out her 2011 Kim dating Kanye West thing, of course, completely different. Like it's not even a fair comparison, but you know what I mean? Yeah. Like she gets to have somebody that she can ride for. Her entire relationship with Scott, as we'll see as we really get into this episode in the season, is her just nagging him. Everything he does, she disapproves of. Everything he does for, like, quote, his career or his business is something that she is completely turned off by. And so now she has the opportunity to not only feel so comfortable in her relationship and so stable in what her husband is doing, but on top of that, she gets to be a fan of his. She gets to be so supportive and excited for every single thing that he's doing. And that is not something that she is used to in any capacity. Totally. I mean, here's Penelope on stage with Alabama throwing Travis's drumsticks into the crowd. Like, 
there's just something that that wasn't going to happen with Talentless. You know what I mean? Like Penelope is not launching Talentless merch into the stands. And it's just, I, I know it feels like the least significant of their entire relationship. And I trust me, that's not what I'm honing in on. But for some reason, I don't know how <laughs> this happens. For some reason, watching Kendall Sweet 16 really emphasized that realization for me. I don't think it's an insignificant part of their relationship. I think it's a huge part of their relationship. I think the idea of Courtney being with somebody who is responsibly on her level in every area of his life is so unbelievably appealing to her in a way that I don't even think that she realized. And at the end of the day, all of the things we said about Travis stand true, but the thing that you know tops the list in terms of his musical ability or what he's doing with his music is just the fact that he is doing something that she respects. She is attracted to that work ethic. She is attracted to the type of person who performs on stage, even though he has a hand injury, the type of person who is going to bring her daughter out on stage with him at Coachella, one of the biggest stages in the world. And so I don't think it's an insignificant part of their relationship at all. I think it's actually a huge part of who they are as a couple. No, it is true, especially when you put it like that. I think the thing is just for Courtney in her 44th year of life, she is experiencing a level of happiness, bliss, and euphoria that I honestly think for a couple of years there, she just counted out as like, well, it's just not going to happen for me this go around, you know? And it's just, I don't know. I'm just really happy for her. No, I am too. And I can't wait to get into this episode of <laughs> Courtney and Kim Take New York because What's really interesting in the way that we recapped Kim and Chris's relationship is both during their engagement leading up to the wedding and now in their first couple of months or their last couple of months as being a married couple, you see the demise of their relationship happening in real time. Like you see exactly how it started and you see exactly how it ended in every single area in which it was headed in the wrong direction. But that all existed in a relatively short period of time. You see the same thing with Courtney and Scott specifically in this season, but there is nothing short about the period of time in which this went on for. It was season after season of seeing the demise of their relationship. The limit doesn't exist in terms of scenes of Courtney and Scott fighting over the same thing over and over again throughout 20 seasons of Keeping Up. You know, like I get it. I get why at the end, Courtney was just absolutely exhausted. But going into this episode, so it's Courtney and Kim Take New York season two, episode one. And there's two separate things happening here. Of course, Chris and Kim, like you just said, and then also Courtney and Scott. We didn't do it scene by scene. We kind of split it up into almost two separate plots. We'll go over Kim and Chris first. We'll then do Courtney and Scott. I have to just immediately start out with the way this episode begins, which is a flashing on the screen that shows all of the news coverage of Kim and Chris's marriage ending after 72 days. And it then hits you with the black screen, white writing, eight weeks earlier, dot, dot, dot. And that is when you know some shit is about to go down. Anytime a show starts with the news coverage and then takes you back with the dot, 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 I'm like, all right, let's, let's fucking go. I felt so betrayed by my own memory because as I was watching this, I was like, think about what it was like to find out that they were getting divorced and then only having to wait a month for the episode to come out to see what happened. Like I was trying so hard to put myself in the position of what it was like the first time we watched this. And I just, I couldn't remember, but like, I wish more than anything in the entire world I could because 
I don't think we've ever had a timeline so quick from major event happening to watching the behind the scenes of it with Kardashians. Yeah, like that is the kind of turnaround time that I'm looking for. And honestly, the thing that I can't get over is like they're married in August, right? We know for a fact that she files end of October. I just cannot imagine for Kim how stressful this must have been. She has cameras in the apartment and she's probably thinking to herself, I can't stand this motherfucker. And like, obviously, I'm so grateful for our sake that that's all on film. But even before she starts to really get into any of the issues, and we're just watching their day to day, they haven't confronted anything yet. Like, yeah, maybe he's a little bit messy. She doesn't love that. But you know, she must have been feeling a lot of internal feelings that she wasn't voicing even to Courtney or definitely not on camera to Courtney. I think that the second they got to New York, I mean, the literal second they got there, she was like, I fucked up. Like, I think that realization hit her like a ton of fucking bricks. And what we're seeing is actually her kind of working in reverse, weirdly enough, where it's like, okay, I fucked up. Let me see how I can still salvage this. And so like, there are these parts of her that I do think were genuine at the time, like a little mix of like honeymoon face still, but also like trying to make this relationship work where like, they're playful and they're touchy and there's a lot of PDA and she wants him to stay in bed longer. But I don't think that we can watch those objectively as just like, oh, they're in like their first couple of weeks of marriage. Like we are watching those as like, this is Kim trying to save her marriage. Very much so. And you could tell that because honestly, I think that the physical aspects of their relationship were probably very decent, you know? Like, I think she did enjoy sleeping with him. I think that she did enjoy the moments of being touchy. That wasn't the issue. It was who he was as a human being. And I mean, who she was as a person. And I don't mean that negatively. It's just they are completely different people in pretty much every single facet of their lives. Okay, so if you've been listening to the podcast for a while now, there are two things you probably know about me. The first is that I am a diehard OG Skims fan. Like there have literally been times where we've had to pause a recording because a certain product dropped that I needed to buy. And second of all, you know, historically, I kind of just never wear a bra. So what we're talking about here is kind of merging those two things. Because listen, I'm gonna be honest with you, I'm never gonna be a daily bra wearer. It's just not in the cars for me, never has been, never will be. However, There's recently been more events that I've kind of had a lot of weddings and just there's sometimes you got to wear a bra. And when I tell you Skims is changing the game for me because that same comfort that I talk about with the underwear or the loungewear, they did that with the bras. And recently in the past month, I've worn the Fits Everybody t-shirt bra and the no-show balconette bra. I had to wear that one to a wedding under a dress. And like, it was the first time in my life where number one, I wasn't miserable. And second of all, I didn't come home and just like immediately want to take it off, which I'm telling you, it was a foreign concept for me. They're just so comfortable. It's like, I really felt like I was wearing nothing. I'm I'm such a fan of everything that they make. So I guess it makes total sense that I love the bras, but like, I'm telling you, you will have the same experience. Shop Skims Bras at skims.com, now available in 62 sizes, 30A through 46H. Plus get free shipping on orders over $75. If you haven't yet, be sure to let them know we sent you. Definitely do that. After you place your order, select podcast in the survey and select our show in the drop-down menu that follows. We all get bogged down with the mundane tasks of life, especially this time of year. But is it a time you take a break from your normal, boring routine? Don't just sit on the sidelines and watch life go by. Get in the game with the bold tropical lime flavor of Mountain Dew Baja Blast. You can be having a blast anywhere. Having a blast at work, having a blast in traffic, having a blast while you file your taxes. 
No, really, we mean it when we say anywhere. With Baja Blast now in stores everywhere, you can be having a blast whenever and wherever you are all year long. So what are you waiting for? Pick up an ice cold Baja Blast today at a store near you. And for a limited time, with every purchase of Baja Blast in stores and at participating Taco Bell locations, you can collect coins for a chance to get Baja gear or a Taco Bell deal. This swag is available for a limited time only, so don't wait. Grab a Baja Blast and start having a blast right away. No purchase necessary, open to U.S. residents 18 or older, subject to official rules at BajaBlast.com. Ends June 15, 2024, void where prohibited. So again, we're not doing the scene by scene. We're kind of just going to cover everything him and Chris, and then we'll get into Courtney and Scott. But their first scene is them on the private jet going together to New York and Kim's kind of laying on him. She's joking about joining the Mile High Club. He's like, you're so pretty, baby. They're kissing. I don't think, I'll give her the benefit of the doubt. I don't think that in this moment when they were making the trip there that it fully set into her. I, I agree with you. It wasn't until they got to New York, she saw the situation that they would be living in and that's when it really started to click. I still think even though they were working out the kinks getting there, that the process of getting there, she was still filled with a lot of optimism. Yeah, I think so too. Like, I think specifically the moment that they got there is when it hit her because also a huge, huge, huge element of this is that they had never really lived together before. I mean, he had come and stayed with her in LA. She had stayed with him a little bit in New York, I think. He had stayed in her, you know, hotel in the first season of Courtney and Kim Take New York. She had gone to Minnesota a couple of times, but these were all little trips. They weren't living together. I can't express enough. Like if you are going to marry somebody, live with them first. Like their habits, their things that annoy you, their cleanliness, like the ways in which you operate so differently, those are all things that you need to know before you commit. And I really feel so strongly about that. And that's where Kim and Chris went wrong. They thought they loved each other enough and they had spent enough time together, you know, on these little vacations to visit each other that living together would just be a natural transition. And it so, so, so wasn't. Well, the other thing about this is like, obviously Kim and Chris's marriage was never going to work no matter what. However, there's something to be said for like setting yourself up for success or giving yourself the best shot at it working. For two people who have never once lived together before to both for their first time post-marriage move to a place that isn't entirely familiar to either one of them, live together in a hotel room with your wife's sister, her boyfriend, who they have a lot of relationship problems, and their newborn, and on top of that, you're filming a reality show. Like, again, not to say their relationship would have worked regardless, it wouldn't have, but you could not have added more stressful factors to ensuring it wasn't going to work, you know? The conditions they were living in pretty much made for the worst possible start to a marriage and the best possible start to a season of television. I know, which I honestly think even Kim would be able to make that point of like, you know what? It sucked, but God, did we get some content. I honestly think Kim was having that thought process in the moment. Like, I have to imagine, just skipping to the end of this episode for a second here, like Kim is in her first couple of weeks of marriage. Chris Humphreys is so thrown off by living with her and living with Scott and living with Courtney and Mason and everything that's going on in New York and this hotel suite that they're sharing that... Chris decides that he needs to focus on basketball. He needs to focus on his training and he needs to go back to Minnesota. So in literally their first couple of days of living together as a married couple, 
he fucking jumps ship. And I have to imagine that Kim is laying in that bed saying goodbye to him going, this is a disaster, but God, this is going to be such good television. Yeah, it's like you almost could imagine that after the scene wrap, she's calling Chris Jenner of like, mom, I'm about to be hysterical, but holy shit, did we just get some good TV? Did you forget, because I did, that he goes back to Minnesota at the end of this episode? Like, the first episode of the first season of them as a married couple ends with him leaving? I cannot get over that fact. Yeah, I totally forgot, which is one of the reasons that this rewatch is so fun. How are we supposed to remember every single episode for 20 plus seasons? No, the one thing that I've learned is that there are very little moments that stick out to me in a very major way. And then there are huge moments that I had completely forgotten about. Chris leaving at the end of this episode to go to Minnesota is one of them. Another one of them that I forgot about is in this episode is when Kim says she doesn't know if she can live with him before he even leaves. Kim is talking to Courtney about his mess and what it's like to live with him for the first time. And Courtney says, well, do you think you could live with him in LA? And Kim's immediate response is, I don't know. That is in the first fucking episode. I know. And something that I am kind of curious about or that it came to me while watching this is because of how dysfunctional Courtney and Scott were, but because it also became their norm, I wonder if Kim wasn't as freaked out about some of the dysfunction she picked up because it wasn't as though she had all of these healthy relationships around her. Like Courtney, who at this time is the person she probably looked up to the most, definitely took a cue from in terms of how to kind of do life, again, at this stage. It wasn't like here she is living with Chris and they're having all these problems, but they're living with her sister and her perfect relationship. It almost kind of felt like par for the course. Again, the outcome didn't matter. We knew what the outcome was going to be. But I do wonder if even subconsciously it made her kind of accept this reality a little bit more because it wasn't so different. It was different in a lot of ways, but in terms of the level of dysfunction, it wasn't so different than what she was experiencing on a daily basis. I mean, and not just Courtney and Scott, think about the state of Caitlin and Chris's marriage at this point and how normalized the dysfunction in that relationship had become for everybody. And there's a part in this episode where Kim is really on Chris about his stuff being everywhere and the boxes not being put away and the mess that they're living in and, and, and whatever it may be. And Courtney says to Kim, like, you're such a nag, like you're nagging Chris the way that mom nags Caitlin. Like what, what is wrong with you? And Kim's like, yeah, that's exactly who I am. Meanwhile, you have Courtney over here doing the exact same thing to Scott, completely unaware of the correlation between all of their relationships and what they're seeing and what they're then bringing to their own relationship. So yeah, I think that's an excellent point. I think that all of their relationships seep into each other. And I think the idea of maybe not having the best examples to look at on top of being as famous as they are and not having this normal life by any means is creating an environment where Kim could kind of ignore all of these red flags. Totally. And also the fact that, yeah, her relationship was crumbling, but her career certainly wasn't. And so she was able to kind of shift focus in a lot of ways onto her career, onto the great things that were happening. You know, I think it made it a little bit more tolerable. Again, clearly not that tolerable. It only lasted for 72 days. But I'm even including when I'm talking about this, the lead up process, because maybe if she didn't have one, so many toxic relationships around her, and second of all, so much going on in her career the process of leading up to the wedding wouldn't have gone down in the same way. Again, who knows? Because as we've discussed a million times, she really had a one-track mind and that was marriage. But it's interesting to just consider how these other factors play in. 
Also, just a moment of context, because I know we're really jumping around here. At this current moment when they're filming it, Chris Humphreys is currently a free agent. So normally, he would be doing his training in Minnesota. But because he's in New York, his plan is to do the training in New York so that when the NBA lockout ends, he's obviously in the best possible spot and he is the desirable <laughs> I was going to say candidate, whatever term, a, a desirable teammate to be drafted. Is that what one would say when discussing this? I don't fucking know. <laughs> <laughs> one thing I'm not about to do is is get into NBA logistics because there's things was, I know, there's things I don't know. <laughs> it was so much better for me when Kim started dating Kanye. I was like, oh, this I know about. Like, I, I don't know what the fuck to do about Chris Humphreys waiting for the NBA lockout to be over. I don't even know what an NBA lockout is. <laughs> Honestly, full transparency, you guys, when I was saying that line, I called it a draft. (laughs) Julie was like, no, restart. It's not a draft. (laughs) I feel like makeup in general and specifically a daily makeup routine is so personal and that we've all kind of gotten down to a science, what works for us, what we need before we leave the house. Like, where do we feel our most comfortable? And for me on a daily basis, I wear really, really minimal makeup. I actually think I feel the most comfortable with the least amount of makeup, but my two Holy Grail products always have been, I think always will be, are mascara and lip gloss. Maybe a little highlight on the inner corner if I'm feeling crazy, but honestly, whether you are fresh face, full glam, wherever you fall, you have probably seen Thrive Cosmetics Viral Tubing Mascara. It's the one in that turquoise tube that you see all over social media. So Thrive Cosmetics beauty products are certified 100% vegan and cruelty-free, made with clean, skin-loving ingredients, high-performance and trademark formulas, and uncompromising standards. They have a lot of great products, but the one I want to focus on is the Liquid Lash Extensions Mascara. First of all, it lasts all day without clumping, smudging, or flaking, which I'm telling you right now, I have a zero-tolerance policy for flaking with my mascara. Like, I'm just not trying to put you on my lashes if you're going to flake. And they have a flake-free tubing formula that dramatically lengthens and defines your lashes from root to tip. So it kind of looks like lash extensions without the damaging glue or salon prices. Also, super easy removal, slides right off with warm water and a washcloth, no soap required. And it has nourishing ingredients that support longer, stronger, and healthier looking lashes over time. It's just like very much worth the hype. I had seen it a lot. And once I tried it, I was like, oh, okay, this is why I see it everywhere. Thrive Cosmetics is luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 20% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com cbc. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S dot com slash CBC for 20% off your first order. Okay, so one thing about me, I'm going to get my food delivered. It kind of just falls under the general umbrella of convenience, which as we know is a core principle of my life. And I've been a DoorDash user for a while now, as I'm sure many of you are, but I specifically want to talk to you about DashPass because it's kind of really the way you get the most from delivery which as a side note, if you use code CBC24, you can get 50% off up to a $10 value when you spend $12 or more after signing up for DashPass. But let's zoom in for a second on what DashPass is. Basically, it's the most affordable way to get anything in your area delivered to your door. So it's helping you save money and time with every DoorDash order. And number one, $0 delivery fees and lower service fees on eligible orders. So it makes it really easy to save on groceries, retail items, restaurants, all of your local favorites that deliver on DoorDash. And then this is the thing that really sold me. DashPass pays for itself on average in two orders. So it makes delivery even more worth it. Plus DashPass gives you special access to exclusive promotions, member-only menu items, all for only $9.99 a month. 
Get more from Delivery for less. Sign up for DashPass today only on DoorDash. Use code CBC24 and get 50% off up to a $10 value when you spend $12 or more after signing up for DashPass. Subject to change, term supply. One of the scenes that we absolutely need to discuss is this welcome to New York party that they're having, and I believe it's Capital that's throwing it for them. And you really see here the complete differences in their approach to life, but specifically to fame. Like Chris Humphrey's understanding of the way that Kim's world works is just entirely off. And so Kim tells him about this Welcome to New York party that they're obligated to be at. And Chris Humphreys goes into it with this mindset of like, okay, we'll make a quick appearance, we'll show face, and then we'll leave. And Kim is like, no, you don't understand. This is being thrown for us. Like we have to do press. We have to be there. We have to make a speech. Like this is not the type of thing that we can just say hello and dip. And this really creates a huge problem for the two of them right off the bat because this is not Chris Humphrey's life. No. And I mean, they are literally doing the press line. Like Kim and Courtney are on the press line on this red carpet and Chris Humphreys is behind the step and repeat on his phone. Like, by the way, I don't think that Chris is wrong. I get it. This seems fucking miserable. But what did you expect when you went into marrying her? She has never been shy as to not only who she is, but what she wants to be. I said this last week or two weeks ago, like Kim wanting to be this famous and this successful was something that she has said from the videos that Robert Kardashian was taking of her when she was 15 years old. You know, like it's a huge part of her personality. And I think where Chris kind of went wrong, and partially I think this happened just because of the swift nature with which their entire romance occurred. Like he never put two and two together to think of, okay, this is what she wants, but her getting there involves a lot of logistics that I want nothing to do with. Well, you know, what's interesting is, and not to compare them at all, but this really does go back to the conversation we were having in the beginning of the episode about the way that Courtney viewed Scott and what his business was and what his way of making money was. And what it comes down to with Chris and Kim here is that This is Kim's way of making money. This is part of Kim's fame. This is part of her celebrity. This is part of her business. And not only does Chris Humphreys not want to be there, not only is this not his scene, but he doesn't respect Kim for doing this. This is not a job in which Chris views as, quote, respectable. Chris knows that he has to be up in the morning, early, practicing basketball, getting in the best shape of his life, being ready for the NBA lockout to be over. And that is a situation that he can say to himself, like, that's a respectable career. Like the fact that I have steps A, B, and C to do to get to this place where I am a professional NBA basketball player, that's what's important. And the fact of the matter is, it's fine for somebody like Chris Humphreys, who's an NBA player, to look at the way that Kim conducts her business or makes money and feel a complete opposition to that or feel like it is not something that he views as legitimate. It's just don't marry that person then. Exactly. Especially because you know how people say, well, the Kardashians are just famous for being famous. I don't believe that to be true current day. But if we're talking about 2011, yeah, that is why they were famous. They were famous for being famous and continuing to be famous and doing this reality show. And obviously, specifically Kim and Kris Jenner saw the vision. But if you didn't see the vision in a way that Chris Humphreys certainly didn't, there was no part of you that was 
at all, forget about going to respect, going to even understand what was going on here. Like in his brain, it just did not compute why them talking to various news outlets on this press line going into the step and repeat for a welcome to New York party that really has no major significance, why that matters. And for Kim, she knows it's just something that she has to do if she wants to maintain this and really grow it. Like they... They were so not on the same page, not even about the daily things, about just like what the trajectory of her life was going to be. But you know what? Also for a second, forget about the trajectory, forget about the vision, forget about where things were going. Their marriage and their relationship was so short that this isn't a situation where they started dating and then Kim started on this journey of fame. This is exactly who Kim was when they met. This is exactly the type of events and commitments that she had from the very, very, very start of their relationship. So it's not even like something that he can claim that he didn't know what he was getting into because all of a sudden this started once they were married. This is something that Chris Ambrose has had the knowledge of the entire time. And even if he couldn't see the vision of where it was going to end up, he could see where they were currently at now. It's just he didn't want to be a part of that. And he willingly put himself in a position in, when he married Kim where he would just have to be. And the fact of the matter is, is that he continued to approach Kim and every facet of her life as if he was just going to be able to change that. He was going to be able to come in and all of these things that he thought was ridiculous or over the top or unnecessary, he would be able to put his foot down and it would be over. And that is where he went so fucking completely wrong in every single area of this. Right. And to look at it from her side for a second, because she fully, as we've said, fully owned her career ambitions, her fame ambitions, all of that. So it wasn't as though she wasn't being forthcoming. But where she went wrong is she saw the way in which Chris opposed that, or at least opposed what he knew of that. But I think she really operated under the belief of like, well, he'll just get used to it, or it'll just get better. The last thing she anticipated was that it would only get worse. And what she saw, like quite literally within the first week of marriage, or at least the first week in New York was oh, this is only getting worse. He's only going to grow more resentful to me for what I'm doing. It's very similar in very different ways to Courtney and Scott in the sense of Scott never hid who he was. You know what I mean? Like Scott has been very forthcoming with Courtney about whether he's saying it out loud or showing it with his actions about the type of person that he was and what she could expect from him. And the fact of the matter is, is that what we see in every single episode, every single episode where Courtney and Scott are fighting or having some sort of a disagreement, Courtney says, well, I put my foot down and he knows exactly what he needs to do to be with me. He knows exactly what behavior is acceptable. He knows exactly what I won't allow and what I will allow. And yet every single episode, she is continuously repeating herself because she keeps expecting that that is somehow miraculously going to go away or he's miraculously going to get better or she can keep saying that and reiterating it and he'll just eventually learn it. The, the Both relationships are such prime examples of when somebody shows you who they are, whether that's a negative thing, whether it's a positive thing, whether it's just inherently who they are as a person, you have to take that. Like you cannot change a person, especially when they have done the same things that has annoyed you or upset you or bothered you over and over again. And it's interesting to watch both Courtney and Kim try and navigate that on completely different timelines and completely different um, tolerances of acceptance for it. In the words of Maya Angelou, when people show you who they are, believe them. And it is so fucking true. I feel like 
that quote has never been more present than when watching these episodes, honestly, because you're right. It is the same thing with Courtney and Scott. And I get it. I feel like so many of us have been on that side of things where it's like, I love this person so deeply and I see the potential for what our relationship could be. And because of that, I am so willing to believe that these aspects that are just deal breakers for me pretty much could be changed. And it's so painful, but it is also simultaneously so liberating when you accept like, you know what? It just can't be. So either I have to get on board with that or I have to walk away. It's not an easy thing to do. It's really, really not. But I really do think the other side of that is a happier place because at least then you're not being upset every day over something that the person is just doing because it's inherently who they are. Like it, it feels so bad on both ends. It feels so bad to be the person continuously frustrated. And it feels so bad to be the person that is feeling as though they're being villainized for just existing as they exist in the world. The issue is that you're with a person that doesn't respond well to that. Like, oh, it's such a fucking, in some ways, relatable concept, even though obviously living in a two-story suite at the Gansevoort with Scott to Courtney Kardashian, Chris Humphreys, Kim, and Mason is like the least relatable thing I've ever heard. But you can really extract aspects that I think do apply to your average person. No, I think so too. I would love to quickly, I know we don't have time to get into like the full Scott and Courtney, which I'm not concerned about because we have a lot more episodes of them. But I would love to talk about what we're seeing in this episode in terms of their relationship dynamic. Because while it is so much of the same stuff, I do think that we're starting to see some new dynamics presented. So I'm a big fan of transparency across all aspects of life. Like generally speaking, there's pretty much nothing I wouldn't rather be told straight up. But specifically when I'm buying something or paying for a service, I just want to know what I'm getting myself into. And oftentimes there can be so much nonsense or so much yada yada. For example, sneaky terms hidden in the fine print of contracts or bills that randomly go up without properly alerting you or budget airlines with cheap fares, but then exorbitant fees to make up for it elsewhere. And we just should not need to be dealing with this type of yada yada in our lives. And yes, you could read every single word of every single contract and that's one way of avoiding it. Or you can go with a trusted brand like Metro by T-Mobile that helps you to get ahead and not pull you back. That's right. You don't take yada yada from life, so don't take yada yada from your wireless provider. Metro by T-Mobile has no contracts, no credit checks, no surprises, and not a yada yada, which honestly gives so much peace of mind. Like you shouldn't have to compromise for an okay option with sacrifices when you really deserve that full transparency. Stop by one of over 6,000 Metro stores nationwide. Let's talk about something near and dear to our hearts, our furry companions. Life is full of unexpected twists, just like the ones we love to uncover about our favorite celebs. But sometimes those twists involve our four-legged friends. Imagine navigating the unpredictable world of pet parenthood, where every day is a new adventure. Our partner, Spot Pet Insurance, wants to share a message to help make sure you're prepared for any unexpected curveballs, whether it's a sudden illness or an unplanned trip to the vet. Spot Pet Insurance can be your secret weapon against the unexpected. With Spot, you can get up to 90% cash back on eligible vet bills, helping you with those surprising expenses that seem to pop up when you least expect them. But wait, there's more. Spot Pet Insurance plans go beyond just offering coverage for accidents and illnesses. You can enhance your plan with their preventive care benefit, ensuring that routine wellness, vaccines, and more can be covered too. Head over to spotpet.com today to get a quote instantly. Trust us, it's the easiest thing you'll do to help secure the well-being of your dog or cat. Visit www.spotpet.com today. Paid ad from Spot Pet Insurance. Waiting periods, annual deductible, coinsurance, benefit limits, and exclusions may apply. For all terms, visit spotpetins.com slash sample hyphen policy. 
Insurance plans are underwritten by either Independence American Insurance Company or United States Fire Insurance Company and produced by Spot Pet Insurance Services, LLC. Well, honestly, one of the biggest challenges, which we have started to see before, but we're really seeing it in full force here, is the sleeping arrangements. You know, it may seem like a minor thing, but it's not. This is a three-bedroom suite. Courtney gives Kim and Chris the upstairs bedroom, and her and Scott have the two bedrooms downstairs. Not one for Mason and one for her and Scott, one for her and Mason and one for Scott. And you see the co-sleeping thing that she did with Mason has done with all of her kids. I'm speaking from a place of no judgment because I don't have kids, but it is clearly causing an issue in her relationship with Scott. And Scott is saying in his confessional, I remember when Courtney used to give me 99% of her time. Once she got pregnant, it came down to 70 or 80. And then when she had Mason, it came down to maybe 2%. I miss being near Courtney and I hope being in New York can really give Courtney and I a fair chance at a fresh start. And it's like, those are the famous last words, because if anything, it was the opposite of a chance of a fresh start. What you see is just continual resentment and frustration and distance building between the two of them. And I I do think we can't have this conversation without really bringing up the sleeping arrangements because it was a huge thing. Oh, I mean, by the way, like, listen, I think that it's not a blanket statement. I think for some couples it works, some couples it doesn't. Like every single relationship is different when it comes to a dynamic like that in terms of co-sleeping or sleeping in separate rooms. It's just for this relationship, it didn't work. For this relationship, it was the demise of it. And listen, I think when we talk about Courtney and Scott, it's most of the time from the angle of like, wow, like Scott just didn't treat her right. And I still stand by that. I think that's true. I think there is a lot of elements in regard to their relationship where Scott did not do right by her. There was a lot of cheating. There was a lot of toxicity. There was a lot of drinking, a lot of behavior that wasn't acceptable. And so in examining their relationship, I'm not excusing that in any way. However, I don't think we often talk about kind of the beginning of the end and the role that Courtney also played in that. Like, this is a situation where Scott is really saying, like, here are the things that I need in this relationship And Courtney couldn't care less. Courtney couldn't care less about anything that Scott needs. What you start to see, and again, this isn't the appropriate reaction, but what you really start to see is Scott acting out in a way to get attention from Courtney because he's not getting it in their relationship. Yeah, I mean, what we saw is Scott really exhibiting very childlike behavior, and it completely was to get that attention from Courtney. It's like no different than when a child acts out. And honestly, I think in Scott's mind, the majority of Courtney's attention was going to Mason, their child. (laughs) And like, what was he doing? He was mirroring childlike behavior in order to get a response or to get something from her. It's a, it was a really, really toxic dynamic. Honestly, you know. There's so much here, which we don't, again, like you said, we're not going to go through every single piece because these are themes that continue throughout every single episode. But at this welcome party, when he decides that, you know, he's going to drink a little, she's fine with him drinking a little bit, but then it gets out of control. They get into this fight, whatever. The next day, when he's trying to blow off some steam and really decompress from last night, who does he go to? None other than fucking Jonathan Shevin. And he says, which I didn't realize in this episode, that He's known Jonathan for longer than Kim has even known Jonathan because they both grew up together in New York, which for some reason I totally forgot about that. But here we see Scott going to Jonathan's apartment, kind of debriefing on the night. And you see, at least in this scene, Jonathan really taking Scott's side and kind of feeding it this idea that Courtney is just such a nag. And, you know, I, I will tell you, and I know we've said this before, this was a moment when, when we talk about like, well, 
do you remember watching it for the first time? This was the moment where it really hit me of like, wow, watching this at 28 years old and watching this at 17 years old is a whole other world because I was so much more on Scott's side for so much of my life, like growing up. And I watch this now and yeah, I think Courtney handled things terribly and no part of me would find her to be like an enjoyable partner. At the same time though, like of course, this is where she was coming at it from. She is the mother of an infant trying to create the most stable upbringing. And of course, she's traumatized by her partner's you know, behavior. Like it's, it's just so wild watching this now and, and in a lot of ways seeing justice for Courtney while still acknowledging like how fucked up she was as well. Yeah, it's interesting. Like I think – I don't want to say I had the opposite reaction because I didn't at all. Like I, I, I had a very similar reaction to you in terms of – when I was younger watching this, I think that I was so fully team Scott at this point in their relationship. And now I've really understood Courtney's side of it, especially as we've seen Courtney and Scott's relationship progress. And we've seen Courtney progress on her own and really understanding that relationship in retrospect. I think that I've obviously have a completely different understanding of it. However, what I've noticed myself picking up on here, watching this at this age is Scott's way of acting out is so childish and so wrong. However, what I'm picking up on is that that's not necessarily his first reaction. It's kind of his secondary reaction where he will come to Courtney or he'll express himself and Courtney fully shuts him down. Like the idea that he would want more uh, intimacy in their relationship, the idea that he would want more attention from her is like so ridiculous to Courtney that she doesn't even have time to entertain it. Whereas like those are really legitimate concerns for Scott to bring up. Those are really legitimate desires for Scott to have. And so while I'm so fully on board with the fact that the way that he ends up going about it in every single case is 100% wrong, I do have a lot of sympathy watching him try to express his wants and needs and be made to feel like even the idea of bringing them up is so ridiculous to Courtney that she can't waste her time hearing about it. Yes. No, like 1 million percent. I mean, you know, like for me personally, that is I would say number one, probably the biggest deal breaker, like non-negotiable in a relationship, just someone who is not receptive to hearing like needs. You have to be willing to communicate. So I agree with you. And by the way, though, to our previous conversation, like as much as certain aspects of Scott were parts of Scott and parts of Chris and parts of Kim, like that is a part of Courtney. She is not, yes, I know it was heightened with Scott, but she is not the most like communicative, receptive person. I'm sure with Travis, it's very different, but generally speaking, this was kind of the way that she handled things. It wasn't Scott specific. No. And you made such an interesting point while we were watching that we had a discussion about in the moment where there is a scene where they're out at dinner and it's Scott, Courtney, and Mason. And Mason does something like he's dipping the bread and then he dips the phone into the oil. And you said like Courtney's so good at not reacting to him. Like Courtney's so good at kind of just guiding him and showing him what the better thing to do would be. And I said, it's so funny that the exact thing that you complimented about her parenting is the exact thing that was the issue in their relationship in the sense of all Scott wanted to do was to get Courtney to respond. All he wanted to do was act in a way where Courtney would then give him something. And instead, everything he does, she is so completely apathetic to. And so it, it was really interesting watching the parallels between her parenting and her style in a relationship and how consistent it is, but, you know, amazing quality in one area and detrimental in the other. 
Totally. It's true. And it's something we constantly say about Courtney, her ability to be unfazed. Amazing when your kid spills milk all over the floor. Not so great when your boyfriend is stressed about the lack of intimacy. Like it's true. But again, that is just a core part of her personality and you see it come out in different ways. I'm sure if we were watching her in a business setting this episode, there would be an example that came up that we could, you know, tie to that as well. When on the hunt for a new apartment, we obviously all have things that are kind of non-negotiables for us. I would say for me, top of that list is probably natural light. Just because I know myself, I know I'm more productive throughout the day. I'm honestly just happier throughout the day when I'm getting a lot of natural light. And it's important to know what you want and then really to be able to get that. You know, this is your space that you're living in. So apartments.com has helped millions of renters find their perfect place with powerful search tools to help find a rental listing that checks all your specific unique boxes. So first of all, they have 3D virtual tours. So when you can't be there in person, you can take a tour of your possible future home, which is huge because it's one thing for someone to send you photos or to tell you about it, but really to be able to do kind of a virtual walkthrough to me is huge. Also, apartments.com has the most pet-friendly rental listings on the internet, and they have amenity filters, so you can make sure your possible future home has all the amenities you need, whether that's in-unit washer-dryer, air conditioning, dishwasher, balcony. For me, in my next place, in-unit washer-dryer is like hands down, very, very high. So visit apartments.com, the place to find a place. Have you ever noticed how celebrities have brighter, whiter looking eyes? Their makeup artists have a little secret in their kit, Lumify Redness Reliever Eye Drops. Lumify dramatically reduces redness in just one minute. It literally happens right before your eyes to help them look brighter, whiter, and more awake for up to eight hours. No wonder it's so loved by influencers, celebrities, and makeup artists, and has over 6,000 five-star reviews on Amazon. Lumify is also the number one eye doctor recommended redness reliever eye drop and it's FDA approved. No bleach, no dyes. Plus it's made by the eye care experts at Bausch & Lomb. So whether you're on set, on a date, or running on just a few hours of sleep, you can have eyes that look brighter and whiter with Lumify eye drops. When you try it, you'll see that it's what your eyes have been looking for. Check out lumifyeyes.com to learn more. I would be really interested to see if there are any fights that arise between Courtney and Travis that we could then analyze the differences in the way that she approaches it and the difference in her conflict resolution and her communication. We just haven't seen that at all with Courtney and Travis yet. There has not been one scene, not one anything where we've seen them get into even like a scuffle. So I have no way of comparing the way in which Courtney has changed in that regard. I am telling you right now, and I could be wrong, I think, not saying it doesn't happen, because no matter who you are, every couple fights in some ways or bickers at least, I think we will never get that on the show. I think Courtney is so deeply committed to maintaining, it's not the view, because I think it's 100% real, don't get me wrong, but I think she is so not down for even one headline to be Courtney Kardashian and Travis Barker bicker in kardashian season three scene like i don't think she wants fucking any of that so even if it exists which i'm sure on some level a little bit it does we're not getting it i i really don't think so julie i don't think so either but i also think that something that they've repeatedly said like the family in regards to courtney and travis's relationship is that every single thing they do like no matter how minor it is there's like a 50 minute conversation like if they're splitting a cookie, what dessert they want. Like there is a 50 minute conversation that arises until they come to a conclusion that they're both equally happy with. 
I don't doubt the fact that they have fights. I think every single couple does. But my guess would be that the exact same way they approach every single tiny little detail of their life is exactly the same way they approach these bigger things where it's like so calm, so communicative, so going back and forth, hearing each other until they reach a conclusion, no matter how long it takes that they're both happy with. I think that's their way of fighting. Yeah. Which I fucking love. I know some people think it's really annoying. I love that. To me, like that is a love language. That is intimacy. Like, you know, just it's I don't even want to call it conflict resolution because there doesn't even need to be a major conflict that arises, but just like the ability to gen- not only hear, but actually want to hear and listen to what the other person is saying. That is so sexy to me. And I think that's one of the reasons, honestly, that I think Courtney feels her sexiest with him because she feels so heard. And I think she feels so excited about hearing him. She wasn't excited about hearing Scott. Even when they got through enough therapy that she would hear him, she wasn't excited about it. She didn't respect him. That's the difference. She never fully entirely respected Scott. And I don't know how the fuck we got to this, but it, yeah, it's just true. Yeah, it is. I mean, she didn't give a fuck what Scott had to say. It just took her a really long time to realize that you can't be in a relationship with somebody where you so deeply don't care about their concerns or don't even care about the like what they're doing wrong to be able to react to it. I mean, it was just such a recipe for disaster, but it's so interesting that as we're watching this season, our focus is so clearly on Kim and Chris, but the Scott and Courtney aspect of it cannot and will not be ignored. No, not if we have anything to do with it. It's also significantly forget about even being more fun. I just think like more valuable to recap this, knowing that we have Courtney and Travis current day, because it allows you to really compare and contrast in a way that you couldn't if she was either not dating someone or was dating someone like a Eunice where you really didn't get any insight there. You know, like uh, having a relationship that we feel we know so much about and is so consistent and is so present in our minds, it makes this a totally different analysis Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. I mean, this is, this is about to be an amazing season. I am so excited. Obviously when Kardashians comes back May 25th, we will pivot to that and recap those. But the good news is that like, we got a lot of seasons, a lot of spinoffs, a lot of episodes. And so we're not running out. So if you guys are down to be on this journey with us, we are, we are doing it. One thing about us, we're going to do it. We're going to do it. Okay, well, we love you guys so much. Isabel and I will see you later this week for Bravo, and then Julie and I will be back. Remember, next week's episode is Tuesday, not Monday, because of the Met Gala. I know we switch off anyway a lot of the time, depending on what's going on news-wise, but definitely Tuesday next week. And we love you guys so much. Thank you for listening, and thank you for letting us do this. (laughs) 